You are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 11. Woohoo! Say, kids, what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 11, not coincidentally enough, released on the 11th of July. See, there are no coincidences. That's synchronous. That's, that's, right that's there. some dark apocalyptic stuff there, no, man. No, 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 no. 11, 11 ah. is, is been, it's very good. Oh, that's lucky. Okay. Yes, yes. I'm uh, Crazy Ass Vince B. I'm Christopher Neesman. I'm David Price. And I'm Tim Sale. Otherwise known <laughs> as Jason Wood. Well, what's up, guys? What's up? I'm I'm excited to talk with you guys. I think we were just talking a minute ago uh, before we started recording. It feels like forever since we we sat down and did this. A long eight days. Chris is scaring me a little bit. He seems very over-anxious. He's optimistic, (laughs) which is odd in light of the the crazy-ass stuff that was going on today on the Internet. It it was like the psycho man had his control box, and he was just fingering like, (laughs) You know, you know, nasty all day long. Just really? the internets were were aflame with with uh, I don't know what the word is for it. Uh, maybe, Stupidity. Yeah, it could be that. Ah! Oh, know, I'm glad I missed ignorance. all of this. Yeah, I was going to say ignorance, but um, I was this close to introducing myself as Matthew Guy this week. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I tell you what, I had my blood up something awful, but uh, I got home and we're uh, recording a little early tonight. So it gave me just enough time to drop by the comic shop, get home, walk the dogs, and uh, and get a beverage. Which, uh, speaking of, uh, what, what's the roll call tonight? Oh, I'm pathetic. I'm drinking a f- a flat diet Pepsi. What? I didn't have time to go to the 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 beer place. I'm sorry. I, I was just. It, it's been a, a very hectic week. <laughs> The, the the beer the secret the beer place. Scranton Pennsylvania beer place the, the beer cave yeah I didn't I didn't have a chance to get there so it's still manlier than what Chris drank last week though well I wouldn't know too much about that yeah I had a n- nice ice cold <laughs> glass of water but no I, I'm 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 going full force tonight I uh, uh, came home and made myself a, uh, a beef eater gin martini uh, shaken and I uh, got three uh, blue cheese stuffed olives. Oh, oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> what? That's gonna look like sperm floating on the top of the drink after a little. Oh, oh don't knock it till you try it, baby. That's, that's good sp- stuff. Sperm or the drink? That's like <laughs> the Gary uh, and oh. Martinis. You what would? 
I said, that's like the Gary Panther of martinis. Hey, nice. that shit up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it tastes good. Whenever I drink gin, you know it's been a rough day. So, Damn. How about yeah. you, Mr. Wood? Uh, uh, it's not that sexy this week. I'm going with some Yingling lager. There you go. It's a classic. <laughs> it Mr. Is. Price? Uh... I'm 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 with the wine again, and I have some water because I just I was gonna have a rum and coke, but I'll probably be if I don't pass out during this recording, I'll be passing out shortly afterwards. And then the last thing I needed it was anything with caffeine. How about the Jewish guy turning water into wine? Look at that! <laughs> hey, it's not the first time. <laughs> nice. You, you know, I don't know whether to slap you or hug you because you come off with that Gary Panner shit early on, and now you come off with a nice zinger. <laughs> <laughs> our, our game, our game of wackajoo has started early tonight. Oh, yeah. and in all honesty, I have absolutely nothing against Gary Panther. I just figured I'd get your goat a little right, bit earlier because uh, it's an easy target for me. Yeah. I, I understand right. how it is. Now, and we, know, and we all know how Wood's allergic to good art. <laughs> oh, zing! Oh, hey guys, uh, talking, uh, talking about the, the the drink roll call. See, I was we, trying uh, to lead you into that, but they wouldn't mm. let me. Oh, uh, well, you want to lead me in? No, go ahead. Start. Okay. Did it, did it. Um, start starting next week. The uh, drink roll call is going to have a nice little twist to it. You will get uh, you'll get what I'm drinking on uh, on Thursday morning, whenever eleven o'clock uh, comics comes out. We we usually release on on Thursday mornings, right, Vince? That's correct. All right, and then uh, if you want to uh, get the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, you can head on over to ifanboy.com, where I'm writing a weekly article called Comic Shots, where I'll give you the recipe for the drink that I had on 11 o'clock comics and give you a corresponding comic book review. So that will start next Thursday. I love that continuity. Nice crossover, too. Very nice. Well done. He's, he's, he starts it on 11 o'clock comics. He's the co-host of this podcast, End Around Comics, and it's a column for iFanboy. You got to nice. love it, man. It's, it's, Sweet. You're, it's just one you're becoming a happy man of a thousand podcasts. <laughs> it's starting to sound that way, isn't oh, it? Oh. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> Zing. Uh, so, David, speaking, speaking of podcasts, quickly. What's this driving with the prices? Thing? <laughs> this this was uh, this this was just a spur of the moment kind of thing. Uh, we were running some errands last Friday. I had the um, I've been driving with the rec- I've had the recorder in the car because I've been just running some notes off while I'm driving. So Renee had just finished the Killing Joke the night before. And I mean, and I mentioned it in the last episode, how she, she was reading it when we were recording last time. So she finished it and wanted to talk about it. So I figured, all right, well, you know, since I brought it up on the podcast, if she feels like it, then we'll just, we'll, we'll get her thoughts and, and record her for, for posterity. And, uh, and we, and, and that's exactly what I did. And, uh, I figured if there was a, uh, if there was a place for it, then you know, if people want to listen to it, they can. I didn't. I. I it, it. It was just. It, it was weird. It was just this one thing that. Uh, that. I don't know. It, it, after we finished talking about Batman on the ride home, she had some things to say about uh, about Spider Man, and we just kept the recording going for that, and. Uh, and yeah, apparently a few people have uh, seemed to take a liking to it. 
and a show was born. See, I don't, I don't want to call it a show because it's, it's, it's the first episode of a uh, of this new feed that Derek over Comic Book Noise is, is putting out is kind of like a, uh, it, it's like a showcase or a tryout podcast where he'll just he'll throw something out there as uh, instead of creating a new show for it or a new title it'll be under the comic book noise presents banner and uh and this you know it it this is truth in advertising it literally was me driving and and us talking about comic books and uh and that's pretty much it now uh i actually i sent this i sent the note to vince yesterday and uh i have some really, really good friends, and and all because of this little thing called podcasting. And and the other day, a box arrived, and in it contained from three of my favorite people that went to Wizard World Chicago. Uh, it contained the oversized hardcover of the X Men Supernovas, uh, Grendel Behold the Devil Zero. And the two volumes of Batman Under the Hood. Hmm. And thank you, Vince, Mike, and Matt. And they... Uh, Wait, you did say favorite people, right? Yes, I did. Ooh. <laughs> no, no lying here, man. Um, and as soon as I opened up the box and Renee saw Batman, she grabbed it. So it'll. So she bogarts my, my trades. So I have a feeling that we might be recording again after we both get to read Under the Hood. Well, there you go. Now that uh, Behold the Devil, did you take a look at that? I, I, I saw previews of it when it, when it came out. Did, you, it, actually, did you actually open the book? The, well, no, it's still in the, it's still in the mylar. I it's still in the plastic. I think you better do that. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I'm glad I said quickly. Jesus. This guy can talk. Did, did you? <laughs> well, I got to get it all out of the way now because I'll probably be zoning out in a little bit. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, there's a couple items of business we got to take care of from last episode. Okay. So before we yes. get, so before we jump head first into uh, the show, I would like to. This isn't the business from last episode. This is something new, but I'm gonna sneak it in while we're while we're here. I would like to direct all of our more adventurous comics aficionados to the comics comics blog that's comics comics mag dot dot com where in addition to being an awesome comic blog and ground zero for the now infamous frank santoro diatribe against alex ross mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and other artists of his ilk top of the page you will find a link to the fanographics blog where if you register you can download a 19-page preview of Where Demented Wented. This is an awesome book that's coming up from Fantagraphics on the artwork uh, and life of Rory Hayes, one of the most bizarre underground artists you, you're ever likely to uh, encounter. This is where all the... And it's very Panter-esque, so that's why I'm you know pushing it. And uh, it's part Gary Panner. It's, it's where the Fort Thunder dudes probably got some of their inspiration uh it's very much in the ballpark of mike diana and it's part outsider art part bizarre hallucinatory images it's nutty stuff you got to check this out so go to the fanographics blog 
and you got to register. It's very simple, email address, name, blah, blah, blah. You'll be able to download the PDF and just soak yourself up in this bizarre genius. That's all I can say. This guy's fantastic. Just check it just, out. Just, just don't waste your time reading about how Alex Ross is single-handedly destroying comics. Which is a little bit, I don't like the way he phrased that. I don't think Alex Ross is destroying comics. I don't think anyone's capable of that. But as far as setting a bad example for mainstream comics artists, I have to agree with Frank Santoro. Yeah. Well, no, I mean. Really? Yes, yes. The, the whole photo referencing school and just, well, I mean, if you guys don't want to get into it, just the whole thing is there on the blog. You can read, you can read Frank's thought on the matter. You know, you know, okay, okay, just, okay. This is one thing. Okay, maybe we should get into it a little. Maybe bit, we but, should. Uh, photo referencing is one thing. If if you're if you're lifting either, you know, more important, like 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 professionally shot photos from magazines and that kind of stuff, and 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 doing direct lifts of uh, of of magazine shots and and that kind of stuff. That's one thing, but. But making your own photo reference material with you know friends that come over to your house and do poses for you, um, you know I'm, I'm sorry to let this guy know, but uh, yeah, just about every comic book artist out there does that to some some degree. But that's not the argument. The, oh, okay. the argument well, is that's educate me. What the, is the, the argument? The liveliness and the and the and the fluidity and the spontaneousness of the artwork is being lost because they're slaves to the source. They're, they're slaves to the 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 source photos. What what, what he's saying is that it's stiff. It's it's not natural. Mm -hmm. it's, it looks well. That that that's that's his opinion. Oh sure, uh, yeah. Uh, what what else could it be? The yeah. one you share. The one yes, I do share it. Uh, uh, have you ever seen Frank Santoro's work? Frank no. Santoro's work? I I don't think so. No. The, the, the guy's very good. He uh, he's one of the artists on the picture box. Cold Heat Project. He had he did the Eisner. I think it was Eisner nominated Storyville graphic novel. The guy's got. He's very talented, but mm -hmm. he is so far removed from what we are used to in mainstream comics. Where that that was what I was afraid of initially when I saw him. Uh, let's not mince words. Basically, attack Alex Ross. I was very afraid that the people on in the Alex Ross camp would go back and look at. Frank Santoro's work and say, you know, this guy who's attacking one of the most popular mainstream comics artists of his generation can't draw for shit. And it's so far mm -hmm. beyond the realm of the truth where he can draw. It's just that he does not choose to draw like Alex Ross. He's He has the, the spontaneity and the expressionism of that type of artist. But it, it's like night and day. Here's my perspective on it. Okay. Uh, I think that with any art form, particularly commercial art forms, there is always going to be a raft of impersonation and imitation. Sure. Uh, when something is popular, I think when Eastman and Laird came out with Ninja Turtles, how many horrendous black and white comics did we get for the next five, ten years? When the image guys started doing their thing, we had almost an entire decade of image clones with these hyper-muscular ultra detailed cross hatch the, the, the hyper the hyper realistic style yeah so my point is is i think my problem with frank's piece and i did read it is that i think he intentionally singled out alex ross because he knew that would get attention because alex ross is in many people's eyes one of the preeminent certainly at least in terms of 
his financial position and the status he has among the two big two creators in terms of opportunities. I think he's certainly one of the, if not the biggest uh, artist right now. I think he picked Alex Ross uh, and used him for a criticism of stiff, realistic artwork. And I think that's unfair. I think Alex Ross is a master of his chosen way of illustrating just as Eastman and Laird were in doing turtles and, Perhaps Santoro is in his mechanism. I haven't really looked at his stuff. Um, And I think there are lots of other people that see the success and popularity of Alex Ross and are trying to do it too. And because they either don't have the chops or the commitment or the time, they're effectively using Photoshop and overlaying pictures they see from magazines and trying to make it look like a comic book. So I think it's very unfair to criticize someone that's leading the the mm-hmm. the way and doing it really well and I think again resonating with a lot of people sure, um, sure. and then blaming it, crit, them for criticize movement. criticize the followers not the leaders of precisely something. right yeah. I, I think it, it's, it's, yeah. I mean and you could do that with music too right I mean mm-hmm. so uh, I mean when when punk was coming up you know I'm sure there were a lot of people that were a generation older that were saying oh I hate that punk rock music I can't listen to it um, and could have pointed to any number of of secondary punk bands that probably really weren't that talented. But you know, but you didn't really have much of a way of arguing against the clash, right? So I guess my point is, is I just I think that the argument was intentionally played up to focus on the guy he shouldn't have focused on, and I guess to the respect that most people had never heard of Frank Santoro until a week ago, and now they have, he accomplished something for himself. Kudos to him. But I think his argument was flawed in that he attacked the person that's really doing it well, and that. There are lots. There are always going to be imitators. Whatever is popular, whether it's hyperrealism or super cartoony, they're going to be imitators. But everything filters down. Why not start at the top? It, because, it, ha- because it has what, to originate what, from because, somewhere. Because what Ross is doing isn't. Uh, he's he is Ross is doing his own thing. You know, if you're going to and, and it it's smacked of being just an out and out attack on Ross. If you're going to have a beef with people using photo references, why not? And we've talked about it before. Why not single out Greg Land? Why not talk about what David Mack was doing with the Daredevil stuff? People that that are, are obviously lifting copyrighted material to make comics out of. You know, why why not single them out instead of a guy who is very open and very you know he they they put it in the in the the collections of justice or you know kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. it's like yes here are the pictures that i took in my house of my friends dressed up like like captain marvel so i could get the correct lighting for this painting why single that out if that's his process if your problem is stiff artwork then that's just that's just a stylistic preference and but it but why, it comes it comes from the photography. It comes from the reference material. That's where it originates. That's what he's saying. I, I, you know what? I don't think that Ross's stuff looks stiff. I think it looks iconic. That oh. is how I interpret it. Okay. No, I I ser- no, seriously. Alex Ross has a very iconic feel to his art. Now, does that? It, it comes off as looking maybe stoic, and that can be interpreted as stiff. But I see it as iconic. I don't see it as stiff. Okay. Now, I, I love the stuff that he did in Justice because he was working over Braithwaite's pencils. I've never and seen that's what his I was stuff. Gonna, that's what I was going to bring up. I said, I've I, never I, seen I, it look as energetic as it did there, but that's not Alex Ross on his own. Right. Testify. Which, which is exactly the point. The, the, the artwork in Justice does not look as stilted and, and wooden as Alex Ross's normal work was because Braithwaite did the pencils. He just imbe- mm-hmm. what Alex Ross did was basically embellished what was already there. 
That's that's well, the way I took it. I mean, I think justice is really good. Uh-huh. It, it, there's there's something very dynamic about that that style. I'm not going to lie. I I appreciate Alex Ross's talent. I I enjoy looking at his comics, but for my money, I enjoy the work of Frank Santoro more. I actually think Frank ultimately has done himself a disservice in his approach. While he certainly did get himself a lot of attention up front because he used Alex Ross, I think in terms of people like the four of us who make time to talk about comics in a forum uh, or on this podcast, I think ultimately his argument is going to ring a lot less uh, true or hollow to a lot of people because fair or not, he being a relatively independent artist himself with a different style, I think a lot of people that don't know him, and as you said, Vince, click and look at his stuff now, are going to read that and, and just see sour grapes. I'm not saying he wrote it. I'm not saying it's a justified opinion, but I'm saying a lot of people are going to see that and say, oh, this is just some indie artist that's got sour grapes because Alex Ross is making a million dollars a year doing comics. Yeah, I, 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 think, I don't think it's, it's Frank Santoro tagging on to Alex Ross's uh, coattails or capitalizing on his popularity. I generally feel, uh, honestly, that Frank Santoro loves comics and he thinks this is a problem. I don't think it's any kind of manipulation of, of stardom mm-hmm. to get in the limelight. I don't because I, well, I'm, I'm a regular reader of this blog and mm-hmm. he honestly loves the medium. He really okay. does. Uh, Dan Nadell, the uh, publisher of Picture Box, is another one of the contributors to this blog. And I, I get the same feeling from him. They, they honestly love the medium. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you could interpret it as sure. using him as a as a as a lover to start him, but I I don't see it that way. Sure, and this, well, this is this is yet another blog post that is kind of mushroomed into this big deal. And I think you know it's like the 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 Claymore blog posts about mm-hmm. about reviews and creator own stuff is that you get these and these are you know creative people are kind of by their nature very emotionally charged, and and blogs can be kind of dangerous tools for emotionally <laughs> charged people because you can. Mm-hmm. You can wake up in the morning, be pissed off about something, blog about it, and tomorrow, whenever you're over it, well, that blog post is still there, and people are riled up about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, another another blog post that has gotten people riled up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I just did a good quack? Yeah, <laughs> Howard the Duck was back. Nice. Oh, boy. But, uh, okay. That, that, was, that was for you, Mike. <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, I think... Is the price little... going to weigh in here? I don't know. Is he still there? He's here. There you go. I'm, what, I'm here. I'm listening. What, what do you think? What are your feelings on the subject? I, I did not read the uh, the entry yet. Um, I was actually just looking over some of the posts, and I'm not going to read it while we're recording, obviously. But uh, there's a lot to read too. It's um, I I agreed with Chris when it comes to iconic images. When I look at covers. And then I agree with Vince when I hear about it being rigid or stiff or not flowing. Because I can look at Kingdom Come and I'll see Superman fight Captain Marvel. But there may be emotion in their faces, but the page kind of feels that panel may not have the the oomph it, it, it should because he wants to make sure that the poses are right and the wrinkles are correct in the clothing and and that this is exactly how somebody would stand if they were in a fight like that. That kind of takes it a little bit out of it for me when it comes to a comic book. Lacks vitality. 
Mm. A little bit. And and I mean he's he's a wonderful painter. I think sure. I think he's an amazing illustrator, but I don't think he is a fantastic sequential artist. Right. Yeah, he's, was... he's not a master of the of sequential storytelling. And mm-hmm. you know what? He'll admit that to you. And that's fine. And 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 he's 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 made a career out of doing what he does, and he does some great covers, uh, some not so great. But for overall, he, he's he's had he's had a hell of a career, and 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 he'll continue to have one. But if uh, if someone wants to talk about someone taking a photograph and and using that as reference. You know, yeah, Dave Stevens did it. Uh, you know, how many? I mean, uh, people have done it over the years, but they'll add enough so that it's still. I, I'd I'd rather feel like I'm reading. I'm I'm looking at a comic book than looking at something by Greg Land or David Mack, where <laughs> I, I could be reading People magazine or 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 Vogue and and get the same idea of it just by drawing a costume on one of the people that have been photographed. Right. Sure, and, and I will and, give Alex Ross a tip of the hat. Uh, the cover for Batman six seventy eight was fan- it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was you an know, and, excellent, and, excellent cover. And let's be honest, it, it, it's not like Alex Ross is doing monthly comics. Whenever Ross does a comic, it's kind of a treat because you get what maybe maybe six issues every two years out of him on average. So yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so it's, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's not like Alex Ross is is doing you know five comics a month and it's ruining the industry. But 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 I would I I would love for the attention that Alex Ross gets and the accolades he gets for his four or five comic books every year or two. I would love for that much attention to be given to someone like Tommy Lee Edwards who gives us five comic books a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll give him that attention because he's fucking badass. Yeah, he is, and and it's and it's unfortunate that that someone who does put and I'm not I'm I'm not trying to slight Alex Ross. I'm not trying to say he doesn't put a lot into his work because obviously he does. I mean, there's books about his his process and his methods, but I I, I see what Alex Ross does, and I see that I don't know if it was the right place at the right time. I don't know if it was because here was Marvels and then here comes Kingdom Come and now here's just a bunch of covers and he's got some great ideas and he loves all these Silver Age characters. I don't know what it is about Alex Ross that everybody just, he speaks and it's like, oh, everybody's got to listen. It's, it's, where, his, it's his ability to capture the iconic. that He did it in Marvels, he did it in Kingdom Come and that appeals to a lot of comic fans. We, we view those characters as being iconic and strong and stoic and he captures that in his art. Wait, wait, That's why wait, it appeals to people. Which is interesting because he's he's talked about how his 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 favorite time in comics is the Silver Age. He loves Hal Jordan. Barry Allen is his favorite Flash. He he, he everything from 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 the sixties, the seventies, and 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 so into the eighties. That, that's his favorite time, especially when it comes to DC. And and Marvels was you know a look back on on the sixties and seventies and and Marvel the early days. And yet a lot of the people that are reading comics today, they could care less about Barry Allen. Kyle Rayner is their Green Lantern, and and it just it 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 kind of stuns me that they'll look at him and go, okay, well, Alex Ross wants to do this. I want to check this out. I want to get the JSA books that he does the covers on. I don't care about the other artists that is going to do the covers. But a lot of what Alex Ross loves about the medium and, and, and this industry, today's fans really don't care about. 
which dovetails yeah. nicely into a topic of our uh, letters that were sent into us. So, so let's just continue with this. Uh, I'm not cutting anybody off. We'll just seg, meld, blend. Um, one of our forum posters, the always wonderful Azenfist, otherwise known as Alpha Fright on uh, CGS forum, has uh, sent us two questions that he's very uh, interested in uh, our take on. And the first one, like I said, segs into this topic. It's uh, He writes, I've decided to delve into the old guard of art and comics. And the question I have is, what was it about these guys that made them so great to the kids of that generation who read comics? Was it the narrative as opposed to today where it's kind of spelled out for you? For example, a splash page every few pages to attain the reader's attention. Uh, I'm an aspiring comic artist, but I'm taking this like a student to learn more about the history instead of doing what is acceptable right now. That's a really good question. Mm. What was it about the uh, the old timers that uh, intrigued the readers so? Uh, one of the things I think I was going to say Vince is probably most suited to answer. Oh this yeah, be because I I have uh, <laughs> dust coming out my orifices. Also, uh, it, it was just a different game back then. There was a different game plan. Everything was not geared toward the trade paperback, which <laughs> didn't exist. Uh, the the medium was the, the the those that produced the medium were were concerned with producing a single comic book and then moving on to the next single comic book. So the structure was different, the pacing was different, the idea of doing a full page splash was not as prevalent as it is today. Uh, in in fact, it was a rarity that that probably started in would you guys say the Bronze Age? I, I remember Amazing Spider-Man mm -hmm. being the first uh, multi-page or single-page splash that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. the, the Grizzly swinging Spider-Man around and slamming him into the wall. I remember that one issue. Issue issue 33, whenever um, um, Spidey um, is trapped under the machinery and he gets out from under it. One of my favorite splash, one of my favorite splash pages of all time. Right, but it it was more like the stinger at the end of the at the end of the measure. It wasn't the uh, the be all. It, they weren't working towards the splash. The splash worked for the story, in other words. Mm -hmm. So it was just a different different era. And uh, usually, oh, Mister Price got bounced, and he's trying, <laughs> we lost Dave. He's trying to call me, David, David, David. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get him back on here. Okay. All right, we're all back. Hey. You got bounced, but anyway. I thought you had that fixed. I thought I did too. I think I might have had something wrong. <laughs> it's a re okay. He's got a relapse. But uh, the artists too were more concerned with realism, aside from Kirby. We're, we're more con seemingly more concerned with rendering the figure in a realistic light as opposed to an expressionistic figure or taking it in different ways that the readers weren't accustomed to because that would equal a loss in sales. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer. What do you guys think? You know, I have to be honest. I don't know that I'm qualified to speak to it because starting in comics for uh, I don't know how many years when I first got into it I really don't think I had much of an uh, an association with any specific artists it was only after I really became a rabid collector and you know more toward uh, an older teenager you know young young adult that I I started going back and and recognizing artists in different books and saying oh they did that book too and and then 
reading back issues and collecting back issues and starting to see artists that really did something for me. So I, in terms of the formative years when I, the halcyon days of comics collecting are always the, f- the first books you read. I don't care what age it is. Those are always probably the ones that you remember most fondly. I, I, I'm much more associated with the characters and the storylines and the writers than I did. I mean, I, I have to tell you, I mean, the first few years that I read comics, I don't think I knew the difference between the writer and the artist. They were just both guys that were on the cover to me. You know, I didn't really know that delineation, and it wasn't until I, I think I was well involved in, in the mythos of the comics lore that I started on appreciating the art and the distinctive styles and that there were actually human beings that had different ways of, of, of doing art that were behind these books. So I, I, it's probably a, it's a question I just don't really feel like I have anything informative to say. I mean, I, I would have to defer to you because you're much more student of the history of the art than I am. Well, take, take Will Eisner, for example. It, it, I don't think it gets uh, much m- more masterful than that, but who also used large panels, but at the service of the story, not as mm-hmm. he, di- he didn't, pace the story knowing that hmm you know i'm gonna stick a, a splash page in here because it'll save me some some drawing time he he used the splash page to illustrate a pivotal event in the story or as the first panel where he would typically take a cityscape or something and insert the the letters of the spirit into it which was mm-hmm. really revolutionary at the time well but, I have a question for you about this. Maybe you know the answer, or maybe Chris or David do. What's the history of the panel layout? Is it because comics evolved from comic strips, which were pan- panels, and so this just became a natural offshoot of that? I mean, what was the impetus behind the panel layout that we now take for granted? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're they're collected comic strips. Yeah. Well. Yeah, it was it was, it was single page or a single. Single frame, and they you know, uh, uh, get uh, the, the Scott McCloud book, and it kind of goes through the history. Oh, it starts, right. so, you know, starts with cave paintings, moves moves up from there. Yep, the last go okay. cave paintings. There you go. But a different, just a different goal back then. I, I would, I guess you would say. But mm-hmm. it, we could talk about this for an hour. But briefly, I think we covered it reasonably well. I guess. I'm sure if he has another question, He'll let us know. Yeah, because he's good like that. And his second, yeah. his second question was: You uh, and Wood talked about this. Obviously, he sent the message to me. You and Wood talked about this for two episodes briefly about the Filipino artists. I didn't even know there were quite a bunch of artists that came before Lenel Yu, Philip Tan, or even Will Portacio. And I appreciate you talking about it. Yeah, I'm a Filipino. Read, read, read the House of Mystery our, uh, showcases. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I'm a Filipino myself, and it's aspi- inspiring to see diversity in the talent. So the question I'm trying to ask here is, were Filipino artists doing something different in comics art-wise? Hell yeah. No, <laughs> knowing that you spent more years reading comics than me, only three years as of now, did you feel that maybe they were creating something new similar to the British invasion in comics? Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Well, it, it all started with Tony Dzuniga, and I always <laughs> I always butcher his name, but uh, Dzuniga. He somehow convinced DC editor in chief Carmine Infantino, there's that name again, and Joe Orlando to take a trip to the Philippines to see all these wonderful artists that were working there. Hopefully, to you know employ them at, at DC Comics, and boy, what an explosion! Uh, Alfredo Alcala had his own magazine 
in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. The guy was like a household name mm. among others. You, you had Alex Nino, Romeo. Mr. Redondo. Yes, Romeo uh, Tangal, Jerry Tallock, the the unbelievably talented. Each, every one of these guys can be, the, their names can be uh, prefaced with some kind of superlative ad, because they're just, every one was so strong in what they did. Alfredo Alcala was amazing. Mm-hmm. Ernie Chan, uh, Tony DeZuniga, uh, and then there's the second wave or third wave by now with uh, Francis Manipool, who I did not know. Was was Filipino? Yes. Uh, Lan Medina. Portacio. Will Portacio. Yes. Portacio. Or right, Will's is how we talked about that. Will's is somewhat responsible for the new wave because he went mm-hmm. back after Image to get this all going again. Yeah. And I forgot about uh, Nick Manabat, but um, I would say that that the reason why they look so different from the other comic artists of the time was because while their styles were very much rooted in realism, they, they had a very classical drawing style, mm-hmm. uh, uh, much like the old masters in... Ernie in, Chan, don't forget about? Yeah, I said Ernie Chan. Oh, you uh, did? I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they, they delineated the human figure to perfection, just amazing uh, fluid uh, styles where, where a lot of it was done with the brush. And Alfredo Alcala, yes, a very heavy-handed inker, but pretty much a master of the of the form when when alcala inked something you knew it they they he's just a, an amazing talent but uh what it was that differentiated these guys from the regular dc stable of artists was because they had a classical style they, they, their 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 artwork was very intricate and uh what else can you help me out here um pretty well, yeah, it was pretty. It was lush. It was it was beautiful, just flowing brush lines and mm-hmm. and very intricate. And the mood these guys set, which was very important, uh, they they seemed to be concerned with not only rendering things in in a, in a realistic way, but setting a very palpable mood. For well, the, they're, they're, and their and their scenes were extremely absolutely. There, were, there was there was no shortcutting of backgrounds. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. And they drew beautiful people. Mm. They really did physically beautiful people that I think were, you know, men were extremely well built, women were voluptuous. Nestor um, Redondo, oh good, God. absolutely, he's, yeah, he's that's exactly. That's why I threw him out there. Of course, Mr. Cheesecake Wood over here. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what, what are some What are some good uh, showcases that that folks can go pick up? Uh, that would, well, that House would... of House of Secrets and House of Mystery. I don't. Is there a House of Secrets showcase? I don't know. It coming up, uh, I think. Yeah. Okay. But uh, that, and these guys landed during the the. Uh, Bronze Age, mm-hmm. so naturally they landed on a bunch of DC books that weren't already occupied by their top tier talent, which would be the mystery and the horror books. A lot Jonah of the, Hex. right, a lot of them found their way into the Jonah Hex and the Army books uh, that weren't occupied by Kubert. Mm. GI Combat, Conan. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Emperor. oh, oh, yeah! Real quick before we forget, um, condolences to the to the Kubert family. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, Good point. Oh, yes. It's, uh, I'd, I'd made a mental note to, to, to bring that up. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, Joe lost his wife and the boys lost their mother today. So, Absolutely. Uh, condolences to the Kubert and the Kubert school lost one of its founders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a hard road. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, uh, not only did they work for DC, but once the, uh, editorial staff at Marvel got a look at these guys and realized just how fast they were pumping these, the work out, they spread. They went to Marvel. They went to, uh, Charlton. They were all over the place and they just have a, a very distinctive style. 
like I said, very classical based. And the realism was there, but they had the expressionism with the brush strokes and the, just the, 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 the very palpable mood that, was, that they infused these stories with. <laughs> That the the Conan stuff that they touched was, I think, some of the best uh, Conan ever. Like when Al- Alcala inked Basima, yeah, it, it doesn't get much better than that. No I doubt. like uh, I like Ernie Chan on Conan, but I think when I first really started to recognize Chan's style was uh, was on some of the Power Man and Iron Fist issues he's done. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure, mm-hmm. and that's that's one thing. Another thing about them was they had very Instantly recognizable styles. Yes. You, right. you, you, the top of the heap, as far as I'm concerned, is Alex Nino. And, and mm-hmm. Alex Nino draws like nobody else on earth. Yeah. Uh, he, Vince, I sent you a link. We'll put it in the show notes. There's actually a really cool site that has a museum dedicated to the Filipino comics artists. There you go. And have profiles of uh, pretty much all the, the top 20, 25 guys that you could think of. Uh, and if you click through, it's got little bios about them, their bibliographies, it's got samples of their work. It's a, it's a pretty cool, nifty little site. It's it's kind of a clue to URL, so rather than give it out on the show, we'll just put it in the on the forum post that people can click through. Good, good man. And and for a much more articulate and extensive history of these fellas, be sure to check out Comic Book Artist Volume 2, Number 4 from Top Shelf. This is the second incarnation of the magazine. It is an extensive history of the Filipino artists. A, a, an amazing, amazing read. I, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And as yeah. you mentioned last week, Alex Nino is back in the business doing Ooh. a new, starting September, a new, I think it's four, four issue? Three issues. Mini? Three issue, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is currently 50% off at DCBS. What, what book is it? It is. <laughs> oh, I caught him. I, I, I forgot. Him. <laughs> uh, uh, fear, fear something. You, you guys keep riffing. I'll tell you. In yeah. A okay. Oh, it's Chris, you bastard. <laughs> you guys are like, oh, he's awesome. It's the greatest thing ever. What the fuck? I don't. Well, I have know. it in my order form. I just have to. Uh... I already, I already paid for mine. Oh, I, uh, speaking of speaking of a, a horror based or fear, like you were saying, um, uh, Mike Mayhew, I saw some preview pages for Savage. Boy, look for this book when it comes out. Man, does it look good! Really? Mike, yeah, Mike Mayhew is normally known for as being a cover artist and, a, and an awesome cover artist. But yeah. he just did the um, uh, the Jean Grey kind of kind of origin. Uh, issue. I don't know if it's hit stands yet. Maybe coming out later this month. But uh, Sean McKeever wrote it. This thing has been, I guess, on the shelf for uh, about a year and a half because Sean's been at uh, at DC as an exclusive for a while. But uh, I saw some preview pages on it a while back, and it looks gorgeous. But this new series that he's doing um, called Savage for uh, for Image looks really good. So there you go. Cool. And you know this this conversation we're having about the Filipino artists makes me think about a conversation I had with Jim N over at the CGS boards where I I said I wanted to make a point to be more articulate about art and why we feel so strongly about it and what it what it makes us feel and think and experience and and uh, you know that's what we have to strive to do to be more mm-hmm. verbal about what this stuff does to us because uh, it it can only help i mean ultim- ultimately we could never really express how this how the how art makes us feel because it's two different inputs 
You know, when your Fair. eyes tell you something that maybe your your brain and your mouth can't express, but we can approximate it, and that's what I want to try and do. I want to try and encapsulate what this art form known as comics does to us. I think it's a, it's a good thing to to aspire to. If the anything. name of the comic is Dead Ahead. There you go, Dead Ahead. There you go. I was going to say month. that, but I just wanted you to just look for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's got it's zombies in it. It does. A big, big month for me in previews. How about you guys? Uh, mine was fairly big, yeah. Yeah, fairly big. Bigger than usual. Mm-hmm. Big day at the comic shop today, man. I got a stack of crap here. I'm going to be just hustling to catch up by next week. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil it because it just came out today. But has anyone flipped through Final Crisis Requiem? Not yet. Oh, my you know what? God, I, I could ki- I could kick myself. I went over to Midtown today because I wanted to pick up Secret Invasion Four uh, and Requiem and the new Batman just to in case we talked about them tonight, so I wouldn't have to worry about spoilers. Okay, no, and, no spoilers, but they should canonize Doug Mankey. They really should. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh shit, Mankey did it? Yeah. Here's the Son thing. Of a so, bitch. Why didn't I get that? I don't know. So, Midtown uh, was packed. It was packed, packed, packed. And as I was looking for the issues, uh, Rafe, good old Wraith Maker, was working. So he came over to talk <laughs> and we were chit-chatting. And I was in a rush to get home and, and catch my transit home. So I, I, I got in line and paid. And as I got home and I'm reading through my books before the show started, I realized that I forgot to pick up Requiem. Oh, you better get it. There's two, yeah. di- two different covers. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I picked the Martian Manhunter uh, superimposed over the flames. It's really sweet. And just wait till you get a look at the art in this. I think uh, I really like the, the Seven Soldiers Frankenstein, Mankey. Mm-hmm. This, this seems to be a little tighter than that, a little less... Um, Experimental. Yeah. Yeah, good word. A little less expressionistic. It, it's more by the numbers, but oh, amazing, amazing in work. Okay. Just, I, 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 I opened the book and I, I'm flipping through it, and I just looked up at my Marty and I said, "Holy shit!" <laughs> <laughs> it's, Thank you, awesome man. He is he, the, the guy's fantastic. Always does, has been. Does not get enough love. We, no, we, he doesn't. We, we should have a uh, Doug Mankey Appreciation Society. I think there Let's was one. There, there was a thread somewhere. And someone was was kind of trashing Mankey, and I know it was at least two or or maybe all all four of us kind of jumped in. It's like, are you, okay, you're crazy if, yeah. if you're yeah. if you're picking on Mankey. Yeah, you, okay, turn turn your card in. <laughs> crazy talk. All right, yeah. so I guess we should start the episode proper now that we're what forty forty seven <laughs> minutes into it. Yeah, yeah, we're we're rocking and rolling now. Um, How about that one email, and we have a show. Yeah, nice. there you go. <laughs> um, I got a I got a minor bone to pick. Pick Ooh. it. And I know that I know that surprises you. Um, there's a there's a radio show in in Chicago, and and each week they have a, a segment called "Who You Crappin," and it's uh, <laughs> uh, comes from a, a classic uh, Ditka quote from a press conference, and uh, is what they named it after. And, and it's basically a, a segment that they that they use to kind of point out people's bold face lies or when people are talking out of both sides of their mouth. And, uh, and I was listening to it on on my way home tonight, and it, it got me into thinking about something. And um, about what was it, about two years ago or so, when uh, when Civil War was coming out, and um, 
Marvel was trumpeting very loudly how proud they were that Civil War was was bringing new readers into comics fandom, and it was bringing old fans back into the fold that had left because of all the publicity that Civil War was getting, and they were just so excited that uh, that they were bringing new fans back. And uh, uh, fast forward now. You know, two years later, and, and their latest mega event, um, Secret Invasion, is coming out. And uh, if you're if you're reading Mighty Avengers or New Avengers or want to know what's going on in mainline Marvel, you have to be reading Secret Invasion. And I'm I, and I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. I I understand that that is the business model that comics exist in right now. That. It, Event comics fuel the bottom line of of the comic companies, and that's okay. I, I understand that. I'm over that. That's not that's not where my issue is. But I'm at the shop today, and I'm looking at, at Secret Invasion number four. I'm like, okay, you know, it's whether I've been enjoying the series or not. I kind of feel a responsibility to keep up with what's going on with Marvel, so I can talk about it and talk intelligently about it. And I look at it, and Sucker has a four dollar price tag on it now now they've hidden 22 pages a regular size issue under a, a heavy cardstock cover and and kind of tried to I guess dupe us into thinking that that we're getting an extra dollars worth more than, than a regular comic by, by doing this and and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at and trying to think why and it's like okay yeah it, it's a friendly, a pretty thinly veiled price gouge. Because if you're going to be following mainstream Marvel, you have to be reading this book right now, and so they're gouging people for the extra buck. Okay, I can I can understand that. it's pretty shady, but they're in it to make money. I understand that, but I started thinking back about all of the talk that they had about bringing new comic fans into the medium, and I'm like, yeah, you know, if, if you want to do something to 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 bring new people in, and you have a big blockbuster event. Um, an incentive to do that is not going to be charging an extra dollar from the majority of comic books on the shelf. So my question is, Marvel, who are you crapping? There you go. That's a, that's a good point you make. And I would think that they maybe would try the, remember the old new format books when they would release an issue of the X-Men in standard format and then they would release the very same issue on that glossy new format paper and and the... oh hold on marvel just heard that they're on their way <laughs> no, do, you, do you remember when they, oh. there were used to be two editions of every x book at one mm -hmm. time where if you wanted the glossy stock you paid the extra i don't remember how it was 50 cents maybe or you can just go with the standard newsprint comic maybe they should do something like that for the events it, the guys that want the cardstock covers pay 3.99 the folks that want to read the story 2.99 there's an idea yeah, yeah it's just, i i have i and they're doing this with with select issues they did it with with some of the spider-man stuff they they did it with the uh what, with wait, Stephen wait. king dark Dark Tower stuff, and they're 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 finding these uh, the books that they know that they're selling around a hundred thousand copies of, and they're marking them up to four bucks. And if you think about it, well, that's a, that's an extra hundred thousand dollars. 
and and, it, and they're not spending that on on the cardstock covers. So I, I'm just I'm I'm a little I'm a little cranked off about it, and that's not you know I it, it makes me sound like a like a cranky old man. You know that's the baseball that they hit in my comics yard this week, and and it's not that it's not that I'm I'm totally ranked off at Marvel in general. It's that they're doing this with their with their higher selling issues and with a mega event that you really kind of feel handcuffed into into reading if you want to know what's going on that the, it really just kind of feels like they're stiff arming people into paying more for comics and they don't have to do that so it i mean it's price gouging that's what it is yeah well far be it from me to d- defend marvel but in in terms of the dark tower books Mm-hmm. They're very much worth the three ninety nine, and I don't think Stephen King's coming cheap. Well, right, right, but I mean, in terms of story and art, I think you do get twenty two pages in the Dark Tower books, but you also get the text pieces in the back by uh, a lot of supplemental, yeah, a ton of supplemental work. That uh, I'll be honest, you're not going to get that anywhere else. I mean, yes, maybe parts of it came from Robin Firth's that uh the concordance of the dark tower but most of that stuff is new and that that takes time to write so it's it's two different beasts you get the 22 pages in secret invasion loaded with splash panels and then you get the you know your dark tower that has chock full of information go ahead beautifully rendered splash panels (laughs) but Uh, there's still splash i'm not i'm not disputing that and if but but it goes back to then you know do you argue well when for example, a Chris Claremont written comic book. Do you want dialogue taking up an entire panel when Paul Smith or Dave Cockrum or Rick Leonardi or John Romita Jr. just drew that same damn panel exactly the way Claremont wrote it, and now he's telling you what's happening in that panel? Or do you want the pictures telling the story and Bendis, yeah, but- whether you like his dialogue or not, is working together. I'm not saying that, yeah, it would be nice if I had more panels per page. I, I love seeing more in a comic that, that, That's not my point, you know. <laughs> I know no, I, no, I, I know I, it's I, not. I, I'm, I'm arguing Vince. I know it's not your point. I set him off, baby. <laughs> I, I, I read a really good Bendis-written event comic today that I, I felt like I got my story. I felt totally fulfilled with it. I put it down. I was like, man, this was really good. It wasn't Secret Invasion. What was it? It was, it was Ultimate or, No, Origins. Ultimate Origins. Uh, Once again, mm. really good. And I tell you, did you guys pick anybody pick that up? Yep. Um, have you read it yet? Mm-hmm. What oh, yeah. did you see? What did you see on page five? Ultimate Pat Loika. Ultimate Pat Loika. Get out of <laughs> here! Yep, yep. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I would just like to um, interject with reason number. I think it's 1,472 of why it's good to be Pat Loika. <laughs> when, when we were in Chicago, everybody just gathered in the uh, the lobby, and we're all talking and having a good time, and Bendis would come by with his people and walk right up to Pat. Hey, buddy, how you doing? What's up? Like, just talking to Pat, joking with him, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, cool. You know, they know each other. That's, that, that's, that's neat that Bendis would take the time to do that. We're sitting in the lobby on the day we were leaving. Pat, Dave, myself, Scott Cedarland, and Bendis walks in and, walk, and it goes right up to Pat and says, Hey, Pat, oh, good. I'm glad I caught you. I wanted to see you before I left. And I'm thinking, how good is it to be Pat Loika <laughs> when, when you got people like Bendis? That's the man. Uh, honest to God, Bendis likes the awesome sauce. And you know, I mean, and there's ben, no Bendis, reason. 
Bendis is a good guy. I mean, he put he put Pat in that book, and he put Suntress in a book. I mean, Bendis is a is a oh. he's a I think a genuinely nice guy. He's a good writer. I read I read Secret Origins, and I enjoyed it. I'm like, yeah, this is the Bendis that I enjoy, and I'd like to see him away from mainstream Marvel books sometime. And obviously, but, the stardom has not gone to his head. Well, you know, my beef, my beef with Secret Invasion is not with YNLU. It's not with with Bendis. It's 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 more with it's. I guess it would ultimately be, I guess, with Buckley. You know, on on raising the price. That's my problem with that series. Is that they're is that they're trying to squeeze more money out of people than you know than maybe they should. And I just I, I hope that I hope that comic consumers are smart enough to kind of put their foot down and and give them the bird and say you know what yeah I'm I'm not playing your I'm not playing your fucking game. I'm just cur- I'm just curious of something. Um, do, do you get charged a different price uh, in mid- the Midwest for Final Crisis than I do? Because last time I checked, that was three ninety nine too. It's, it's also forty n- pages. Yeah. No. Yeah, four zero, forty pages. I'm what? pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it is. I think it might be thirty-two. It, it, you well, know what? It, still more it, than twenty-two. If it, if it if it's a twenty-two page comic that they're charging three ninety-nine for, then fuck them too. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming now. I could be wrong, but I'm assuming that between Final Crisis, Final Crisis Revelations, Final Crisis Rogue's Revenge, Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds, all of which are three ninety-nine, that they're all not forty-page books. Safe assumption. I don't know. Let's uh, check. I have uh, Final Crisis right. Uh, Requiem right here. I and know that. Am, I know that that Rain in Hell <laughs> is not more than twenty-two pages, and that's three fifty. I know Ranthanic or Holy War, uh, three fifty. So, I mean, this is a Marvel DC thing. Let's. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why we seem to have this hard on for Marvel on the show. It seems like, but well, but let's, no, please, yeah, let's well, know. But I, again, to yeah. be fair, I, mm-hmm. it, it's a Marvel DC thing. It's not a Marvel thing. I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong and that they're trying Absolutely. to price gouge. And, and again, and, I think and, and there will back. be people out there that will say, well, IDW charges $3 or $4 or, you know, three and a half or $4 for their books. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of different whenever you're a smaller publisher because they're doing that because they have to to break even on shit. Sure, sure. Final Crisis Requiem contains 30 pages of story and art. For how much? Is it 30 original pages of story yep. and art? Three ninety nine for 30 pages with, a, with okay. the, uh, the heavy stock cover. I'm still not overjoyed with that. And uh, Spider-Man hasn't been 3.99 since Brand New Day started, and that was 48 pages. Every every other issue since then has only been 2.99. Okay. Well, Chris, I do have a temporary cure for what ails you. Mm-hmm. And it's coming from Image Comics. Mm. Lay it on. It's a book called Charlatan Ball, written by Joe Casey and drawn by Andy Suriano. This book contains 18 pages of story and art for $2.50. $2.50? And let me tell you, in, in Joe Casey fashion, this book is really, really sharp. It's, it's a lot of fun to read. Uh, in, in a nutshell, you have this highly competitive, diminutive alien sorcerer named Demon mm-hmm. Empty who's in this magical contest, and he's the favorite. So in order to divert attention from himself, he dimension naps, I guess you can call it, a mm-hmm. down-on-his-luck stage magician named Chuckamuck. And <laughs> knowing Joe Casey, it's probably a tip of the hat to master animator Chuck Jones. But, uh, and and uh, Chuckamuck's rabbit Caesar kidnaps the guy just to maybe stick him into the contest to divert attention from himself. It's drawn in a style that's somewhere between... 
Jack Kirby and Doug Tennaple. Really, oh, it's it's gorgeous. Really fluid, animation esque art, all done with a brush. That's why I warmed to it almost immediately. The the brush work in this is just incredible. But uh, you know, it's it's Joe Casey, so there's a very strong Godland vibe to it. Uh, the guy is dropped into the dimension, and his rabbit, which was on Earth a normal rabbit, has been anthropomorphized, I guess you could say, into this giant hulking talking talking rabbit thing. And uh, Donnie Darko, nice. No bigger, <laughs> much bigger. And 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 they're both attacked by this Calabac esque muscle mage by the name of Cumberdunst. It's it's wacky. It's typical Joe Casey wackiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, loaded with non secretaries. It's just great. And it's two fifty. So, you know there 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 is a cure out there. It, it, at least Image is trying something different. It's not quite the dollar ninety nine format of Fell and uh Casanova. Casanova, sorry, brain fart. But I mean, so you're you're getting a solid eighteen pages for two fifty. Well, let's talk and about Casanova sell, and it for will a sell. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, it'll sell shit, but yeah, yeah, and it will sell four thousand copies. But right, it, I mean, Casanova, great. right? So it's Fraction's passion. Uh-huh. He loves it. He charges a buck ninety nine for it. People that read it religiously rave about it and think it's a masterpiece. Regardless of whether I share that opinion or not, the point is, what did we just talk about last month? Do you know how poorly that book sells? Oh. I mean, it sells two, okay, three thousand copies, or right yeah. around there, mm-hmm, and it's sure. a buck ninety nine. So, again, I, I would contend, and I think Jim Lee was spot on this. I heard Jim Lee speak to this one time. Uh, the comics business, as it's currently constructed, is frankly full of. It's a very niche business where all of us are rabid fans that would pretty much use any excuse we can to justify buying comics, and as a result, price is not a gating factor. At some point, there might be a certain price that sets people off, but but for the last few years, <laughs> we're, we're getting DC, fucking close. We're getting for, fucking for, close. Perhaps, I, perhaps I, but I don't we think, haven't gotten there yet. Right. I don't think price is a factor, but total cost, total yeah. monthly expenditure is. And when you have DC and Marvel putting out a slew of middle-tier books that should not be published. You, you, you have, you, if you're a Batman fan, you not only have Batman and Detective, you have Nightwing, which does not deserve his own book. Robin, regardless of the creative teams on this book, does anybody need a freaking Robin book? I would love to see him. But it could be a flip book. You could but, have Robin on one side, Nightwing on the right, other. Right, but th- I mean, that's I besides the point. You, okay. you, you are, how, many, how many X books are there? Why, Hold on a second. Why, no, listen, why do we need all these middle tier books? Copyright. Well, maybe, yeah. But it's but not, what I'm it's saying is... depending it, Vince. Again, if, do you think that people... 40, if 45,000 people are buying Robin every month, that's a big chunk of the, of the actual comic book buying market these days that want the book. Well, you think they're all buying it and not reading it? They're buying it because they like it. No, I don't I buy Robin, but lots of people like it. they're buying and not reading it. What I'm saying is it's just... It's, it's, it's a, a mass delivery to the marketplace from two publishers that squeeze in all of this other stuff out. That's Again, what I'm though, saying. It, it's the truth. I would contend that if Marvel and DC each put out 20 less books, it wouldn't mean one iota of extra sales that would show up on the diamond list for independent oh, books. I, I, it's not about that, Vince. I beg to differ. It's not about that. See, the yeah, I don't know. fan does not care about indie books. There are very few people care about them. We were talking about this last week. Do Some they of the care best about quality, though? 
It doesn't, dude. It Somehow. really doesn't matter. It, it, it's, doesn't how matter. many? How many times? It, if an average comic book fan, if they go into the shop and they're like, okay, well, there weren't a lot of comics out this week that are on my pull list, or I figured I'd try something new. How many really go beyond? what they already know, and that's usually Marvel and DC. Who's going to try a Boom very Studios few. book or an very, IEW very book? Few. Exactly. Very few. Well, well, you know, then, then the uh, industry is doomed to, de- to de- dissolve because of the short-sightedness of the readers. So whenever you bitch about But comics, it's not, but wait, I don't know if it's just the readers because it, you know, we, again, and I, we, I mentioned it before, we don't all have a shop owner like Mark Beatty. So it's hard for us to, to go into a comic shop, and if the guy, if we come up to the counter with five books, and we're still looking around, you know, the shop owner can look at our pile and go, okay, you know what, you might want to try this, or this is something else that might, you know, if, if someone comes up with a, with, with, with a Teen Titans or an Outsiders book, I'm not saying it's just like it, but why not offer them Umbrella Academy just to try something different? Right, but most comic shops use previews, don't they? Right, but are they? But I'm asking if 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 comic shop owners are going to be proactive, are going to offer suggestions, or are they just going to sit behind the counter, take your money, let you buy your books? It's Wednesday. It's my busy right. day. I don't have time to see everybody. You mean off the street people? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Oh, it does. For the matter. most part, no. For the most part, yeah, off the street people. But I yeah. mean, even even a regular customer that's there every week or or will try something new. I haven't had too many. I I've had one real good one where she'll say. You know, try this, or this writer also wrote this. You might like this. But for the most part, every other comic shop I've been into, they'll take your money and you move on. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know. So I'm I just saying it's not see, just I, the readers. That, that That's my whole point. Well, it, the readers, right. Okay. But what I'm trying to say is, in terms of quality, stack Invincible up with anything from Marvel and DC. I would, I would hazard to guess that. If someone just read the book, just w- was given a copy and, 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 and read the thing, that they would find it better than at least half of what comes out of Marvel and DC. Probably more. That? Nobody's arguing it, but that's the thing I'm saying. How do you get these books into these people's heads? Maybe they don't want them. And why, I'm just asking the question, why don't they want them? What is so special about the, the brand Marvel and DC that makes people blind to the work of other publishers? It's the thing that all brands strive for, is that you have a brand that you can trust, and people buy what they know. They do, it's not just comics. They, they, it, it's cars, it's, it's laundry mm-hmm. detergent, it's toilet paper. They buy brands that they know, brands that they trust, and that's why people buy mm-hmm. Marvel. That's why they buy DC. Now, Image has developed a certain amount of brand recognition, and so they're number three dark horse the same to a lesser extent, but someone like Boom or IDW or Dynamite, yeah, people are going to because they don't know it. Right. I also I, I think it, it's it's familiarity. You know, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman hang out together. While Nightwing is affiliated to Batman, so there's a connection there. So Spider Man's teamed up with everybody in the Marvel universe. Plus, you know, it's New York. It's a real city. It, and and it, how many people? How, how many people have have said that I was reading Noble Causes? I figured I'd try Dynamo Five, or I was reading. You know, Invincible, and he appeared in another comic book, so I tried that one from Image. I think, I, I think Image is doing, or at least Kirkman or, or, or the guy, or, or, or Favor, I think they're doing the right thing with kind of, I mean, and it might 
backfire, but for now, it seems to be working where there's, they're trying to connect a universe or at least connect these people somewhat where, you know, if, if I'm reading Superman, if I'm reading Spider-Man, I'll give She-Hulk a try because, you know, Peter David wrote Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, he's writing She-Hulk, I know these characters, I know this writer, I'm going to try that. I have no idea what the hell Adam Eve is, so I'm not going to try that. And, so and I, you know what, Vince? It's, Tim, it's I'm, very, I'm very scared that the majority of comic book buyers get, uh, share Matthew Guy's 80% of indie comics are crap. They do, you know, but Vince, it's, even, it's more than that, though. It's even more than that. It's not even just indies. I think indies certainly take the brunt of this, but it's even original ideas within the Marvel and DC construct. The Order, I don't care what anyone says, The Order was a better written and more creative book than The Initiative. I, I enjoy The Initiative. I'm not saying The Initiative is a bad book, but the point is is you had one book called Avengers Initiative, and it had some familiar characters with some unfamiliar characters. Then you have The Order, which is set in L.A. with a bunch of completely new characters, had a lot of pop culture references. It was It was dead... It was canceled, I think, after issue eight, and they finished it. I think they went what through issue eleven to finish it out. But the point is, is in, in, in DC the same thing. You see books all the time that are launched of secondary characters or new characters. When's the last time a completely new character had his own book, his or her own book that lasted more than two years in Marvel or DC? Well, this isn't I mean, a new argument. When was the last time a new character was created that had that no, that's last? That's saying, right? I mean, I think that even well, I think to this argument, I think someone pointed out that Venom is probably the most popular character that Marvel has created. New, the new, most newest creation that actually can sell a book, and that's and what was that was what Amazing Three Hundred. So what was that? Fifteen, twenty years ago. And, and look at years? look at DC, who is more willing than Marvel to launch a book with a, an untested character. Aztec, where's that book? Where's Chase? Where's Resurrection? Man? I, just, I was going to mention Chase, you know, yeah. Where's Kronos? Yeah. Where's Major Starman? Bummer. Well, how about D- I mean, kudos to DC. They brought back Manhunter twice now. Yeah. How long has Manhunter got legitimately? Another, maybe another year now because they brought it back again? So oh, they can get yeah. two Nova. more trades? Nova. Sure, yeah. Nova. Yeah. yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. We were raving about it last week. That's a, a comic that actually had some success in the 90s under Valentino. Granted, this is a different group, but this is a group that actually sold fairly well, at least for a secondary event in a, Annihilation. Direct crossover, brilliant writing, fantastic art. Yeah, and and a lot proven of writers mm-hmm. and, and, and gorgeous artwork. Two years. I mean, just yeah. based on where it started, its sales started in 30, probably has two years worth of, of, of story, if we're lucky. You guys Iron are bumming me out. Thing. I don't want to hear it. You started it. I'm saying, but I know I started. I don't want to hear. You also <laughs> take the stance like it's Marvel and evil Marvel and DC construct. It's not that. It's well. It's let me. The, all right. The let leadership me just... has been conditioned to buy what they know, and that is familiar, iconic characters with the same stories told every four to five years. That's really what what most readers want. Yeah, and and, and the readers that stick around long enough and and go through that cycle expand their horizons and start dipping into more independent comics. And, you know, I, I really hope that, that with the advent of podcasts and what we're doing today is the, the people that are maybe feeling the grind of the, the event cycle, it's like, hey, you know what? Go pick up Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a fun comic. Go have fun with that. And the, the business is what the business is, mm-hmm. but there are other comics out there to enjoy, and that's you know that's that's why I do this. That's why I talk with with you guys every week, so we can explore those. That's why we do around comics. Is because I started to get a little bored with with the the cycle 
of the iconic characters. And I go back to those. They're fun, but there's this whole other world of comics out there to explore. And you know that that's what makes it fun. And we and me in particular, whenever I get drunk and cranky, can come off as as sounding very very bitter about things. But it's because I love comics so much, and I want people to read things like Lock and Key, even if it is put out by IDW. Because you know what? It's good comics. So here, here, let me let me pose this question: How many more copies do you think Invincible would sell if it was published by Marvel or DC? Thirty, twenty-five, thirty thousand. More? Yeah. Sure. See, I they, think it would, given the quality of it, the art and the consistency of the writing, and and that it's effectively a, a it's okay. the Spider-Man. Of, I think is, it would is, sell forty, fifty thousand copies a month. So you you're you're admitting that the, but, the Marvel or DC brand is a benefit to a book. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, but then there's a problem. No, 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 it, but it, it, I'm it, saying it, it, the blame it, it, doesn't it. lie with Marvel and DC because they have good good brands. The blame lies with the entire construct of the market all the way from the LCSs that are horrible salespeople. Well, I agree with look, you there. Yeah. And, and the readers that are conditioned to be lazy. And Vince, you know, I have to say, I've talked about this a lot. I don't know how your guys' reading habits were 10 years ago versus now, but I've been very open about the fact that before I found the forums and started listening to comics podcasts, I spent – more than literally more than 20 years only buying Marvel. I, I had been to 10 different LCSs over that span. I had a pull list for almost 20 years. I st- started ordering online at mail order comics years before I'd even heard of DCBS. And I still would look at previews every month and I'd look at what Marvel had and I'd order just about everything Marvel printed. Half of it would be crap. I wouldn't even think twice about ordering from DC because I didn't know anything about the universe. I never looked at the back previews, and I never thought I was missing anything. And then I started listening to podcasts, being on the forums, started hearing people rave about different books. I dipped my toes in the water DC. Very, just because it was a new universe, I thought, well, this is great. I'll, a lot of bunch of stuff to learn about, history to learn about. Then I started trying out some indie things. I started f- exploring classics like Bone and Cerebus and Strangers in Paradise and things that, that were completely outside of the superhero genre. Ended up liking them more than 80% of the stuff I had been reading for the last 20 years. And now my list is as varied as probably anyone out there. But my point is, is, had I not taken this journey, and let's be honest, I mean, we're talking about a... Sm- the, the, the comic buying populace is a small gr- enough group. The people that listen to podcasts, much smaller subset of that. People that participate in forums, even smaller subset of that. So I feel fortunate that I came across this wacky little community that we have here and have made good friends and have expanded my horizons. If if I hadn't, if I had just basically gone, I would still be buying just Marvel and I'd be happy as I can and I'd spend 100 bucks a month buying Marvel. Some of it I'd think, oh, this is crap. I hope it gets better. Some of it I'd love and I'd, I wouldn't wouldn't be any the wiser. Have so ever, I'm I'm a typical guy enjoyed, in that regard. Have you ever enjoyed comics more than you do now? You're very low, Chris. You got to speak oh. up a little bit. Oh, uh, hold on, I'll fix that. Oh, what? Have shift. you ever have you ever enjoyed comics more than you do now? No, no, absolutely not. And I feel a little mel- bittersweet about it because the last two three years I've read so many things that are truly classics. And I've read them at such a condensed time. It's almost like I'm getting a PhD in comicology, if you will. That in a few years here, I feel like I'm going to have basically read through all of the classics, and I'm going to kind of be back to reading just what comes out. Now, I mean, I, I'm hoping there's always going to be stuff to read, but but there's no, I, always I, more. There's yeah. always more. Have you read the EC archives yet? I, uh, some of them, I, I own most of them, but yeah, I mean, it's that. That's the one thing I, I was talking with uh, Deemer over either a forum or an email. Mm-hmm. Whenever he started um, the, his podcast uh, talking about European comics, and, and we both were, were 
kind of talking about how there's uh, the more that you find out is out there, the mm-hmm. more that you keep finding. You you keep pulling layers off. That's one of the things I love about talking with Vince is because mm-hmm. every time I talk with him or or I Windorf, I, I I keep finding new things that are like, oh my god, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Chris, the first time I heard your melodious voice, my friend, was when you had the EC Archives guy on around comics. Oh, Russ. Yeah, Russ, Russ is a trip, isn't he? Yeah. That was the first time I listened to your show. But um, No, so I guess, Vince, what I'm saying is, is it's, it's, it's a cliche, that for, but, but, but you have to lead a horse to water to get him to drink. And I think the, in some ways it is a depressing topic because I do think the industry is so instantiated from top to bottom in the routine that it's not going to be an easy thing to change behavior. And I do honestly think that podcasts and forums and blogs do on the margin help that. But in terms of the overall buying populace, I don't think it's going to change. And I think Marvel and DC have come to terms with that. They know that this business now is really about getting a hundred fifty to 200,000 people to spend as much as they can each month on things that they feel familiar with. That really, to them, is that's their cash cow. And then they're going to continue to put out... 20 to 30 projects each over the course of a year that may be experimental and hope a couple of them catch on enough that they have a hit on their hands. But for the most part, they know that it's about every year or two recycling a character so that they can get that that bump up again and people can buy a new number one issue or a new artist team. And that's the business now. And and I wish it weren't the case, but that's the business now. And, and it's because of that, the way the business is structured, Marvel and DC offered the largest discounts based on a tiered system. Absolutely. So, so you, you have your comic shop owners who are going to invest in the largest return. So the indie books fall to the wayside because Marvel and DC offers these huge discounts based on volume. And you got Image, who I'm, their discounts are somewhat competitive, but a comic shop owner is not going to pay attention to 10 copies as opposed to 100 copies where he's making the most profit. See, it's built into the industry to serve Marvel and DC. That's what I said. It's but, instantiated, right? That, yeah. That's correct. Sure. And, yeah. and it, is, it is to the betterment of the comic book fan to seek out the things that you're going to enjoy and not be um, chained or tied to one company. It's like, hey, I'm right with what I grew up as a Marvel kid. I love Marvel comics. I still read a lot of Marvel. I know I, I come off as sound and kind of cranky about them. It's some of the shit pisses me off, but you know, I still love Marvel. I still love those characters. I feel very tied to them because it's what I came up reading. But now I, I've, I, I've, because of caters, I dove into into DC and I'm learning all about this rich history that that is is probably being explored more now than it, than it ever has been. But there's this whole other world of comics out there that, you know, I, I hope that other comic readers out there, you know, open themselves up and say, you know what, just because it doesn't have 40 years of continuity or it's not a brand that I'm, I'm necessarily familiar with, you know, I can still go and try something out and, and hit those forums, listen to those podcasts, That's right. get the recommendations from people that you, that you respect their opinions and go out and don't be afraid to try a book like Proof, which I think if you like the X-Files, Great proof. It, yeah. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And let, let's put it in, in wood, wood speak. Comic book readers need to diversify their comic book portfolios. <laughs> Absolutely. So spread that shit around. Read Charlotte and Ball. It's, it's excellent. It, it's, it's a really very well-crafted comic book. And it's only going to cost you 250 So do me a favor. Mm-hmm. Skip 
Skip a, a, a Marvel or DC book for the month and pick up Charlatan Ball. Sure. That's the and challenge. Vince, and also, I mean, let's be honest, that when we first started getting to know each other, we butted heads a lot about art. And I, I was joking with you at the beginning of this show about Gary Panter, but I don't really have an issue with Gary Panter. But even that, I mean, I, my appreciation for different styles of art has grown inf- infinitely in the yeah. last few years. And it's, again, it's not it's that... It's all because of me. Well, it, it's, it's, it's 89% because of you. Okay. No, but it's because if you, I mean, I spent 20 years reading, without realizing it, the majority of stuff I read was a house style. I didn't mm-hmm. think twice about it because it was reasonably realistic and had, you know what I mean? So, so all of a sudden you see something that's really cartoony or abstract and, and you think, well, this isn't good art. And it gets back to what we talked about last week. It's not that it's not good art, but I think for a lot of readers, anything that's different is, it just doesn't feel right to them. And I do think that because of the, the nature of the industry getting so small, because of the move to the direct market, again, I do think where, where money does matter is people's willingness to try new things. All right. I think, well, here's, again, here's the deal. Let's okay. open the door for them. 11 o'clock comics challenge. I, I recommended Charlton Ball. Okay. E- everybody recommend one indie book. I was going to suggest that. Damn yes. You. You my idea. <laughs> <laughs> let, let's just, let's just, just try it out. If you like what you have read, come onto the forums and tell us why. We'll read it on the show, or we'll have you on the show, or record it if you have some means of recording, or you can call our hotline. David, what's In, the number? The number is 206-312-5239. There you go. Thank you can, very much. Can we each take a moment to recommend a book or two from the back of previews that we think are worth reading this month? Yeah, we just have to do it fairly quickly because mm-hmm. we're we're over an hour and twenty minutes now. Look at and you being a stickler, it's early. We could spend oh, four hours tonight I, if we want. I, yeah, I know, but we don't. You know, I, I feel for Tim. Oh, Tim uh, he's a Tim. fragile dude. The wrath of a tiki. <laughs> All right, so I recommended Charlatan Ball, and I'll echo what what uh, Chris said about proof. Proof is great, so that's my two. Now you don't have to pick, you know, exclusively. From me, David's going to recommend, and 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 Mr. Wood and Chris, just pick one and come on the forum and tell us why you enjoyed it. Okay, all right. But I I'm going to throw out a few for people to order in there because it's it's almost time to put in your 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 previews orders if you on, order online. So, a couple if I may. Okay. Go. Spooks Omega Team, which is Larry Hama. So any of you '80s kids that love Larry Hama, GI mm. Joe, you didn't like it. Oh, I love Larry Hama. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So Spooks looks like a a GI Joe type of thing. It's a uh I believe Tim Seeley's the artist. Um so the number one issue is solicited this month. Spooks oh. Omega T number one. I would recommend oh. that. What's that? My my dog started barking whenever he said oh, Seeley. Oh, oh. I, thought, <laughs> I, I, I saw I saw him riding his bike the other day on oh, yeah. uh, on Wilson Avenue. Yep. Look at you living in the in the in the uh, fancy schmancy. <laughs> He's in the Nexus. <laughs> um, and then another one, uh, which I know Chris will warm his heart to hear, Lock and Key Hardcover is solicited mm. this month. It's actually 50% off DCBS, so it's only twelve forty nine for what Mr. Chris Neesman called his favorite series of the year. So I'm the really best, looking forward to that. The best comic of 2008, folks, Woo-hoo. right there. And then the last one I'll throw out there is from our friends at Image. They continue to do no wrong these days. That is Four Eyes number one. It uh, I I don't know exactly what it's about, but the the previews pages look really great. Uh, it's kind of eerie. It's a, a little boy looks kind of a, a geeky little boy. Is that the one with the dragon? 
Yeah, wears glasses, and he it looks like he manifests either he can either call about or become a, a very huge, scary-looking dragon with four eyes that I guess uh, has some stories to tell. But it looks pretty neat and, and kind of avant-garde. So throw that out there. That's also fifty percent off at Discount Comic Book Service this month. So, cool. um, I'll throw out uh, one I mentioned earlier. Uh, Savage looks absolutely fantastic. It's going to be very creepy eerie horror series that's coming from uh, Mike Mayhew uh, on art. I forget who writes it. I think it's uh, going to be coming out from Image Comics. Anything from the Hellboy or BPRD universe is awesome right now. So anything that is coming out from uh, from Dark Horse's Hellboy line, and uh, there's a new BPRD series that, uh, that started today is really good. And um, one other that's not an indie, but I do want to throw it out there so Pat Willick won't be very upset with me about bashing on Marvel. Uh, Captain Britain, MI-13, is a really solid book. Mm-hmm. That, that, that is one that I really... Marvel has a 12-issue commitment with it right now, and I would love to see that series um, go well well past that because Marvel is better whenever Captain Britain is in a good series. Vince, didn't you wasn't your first, first ever Bullpen Bulletin's creator interview with Paul Cornell? No. No, it was Tommy Lee Edwards was our first. But you did actually. interview Paul Cornell, didn't you? Yes, ben, yes we yes. did. Yes, we did. There you go. Okay. Wonderful man. He was, just on, he was just on iFanboy last week and sounds like a, a really, really good guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, David. Uh, well, continuing the image love, this uh, this series wrapped up recently, so you should be able to find all five issues. Uh, otherwise, I'm sure a trade will be coming soon. And if you're a Brian Reed fan, then even better, uh, The Circle. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. And it's it's a spy kind of thing going on, mercenaries. It's it's I was... I wasn't pleasantly surprised because I figured it was going to be good, but between the art and the story, uh, I was sold. So I have to, um, I didn't realize, I, I, I read the four issues because I thought at first it was a four issue mini. And when I got to the end of the fourth issue, I was pretty bummed. So I have the fifth issue. I just have to, uh, I have to read it, but it, it's a series that I, I definitely recommend. And, uh, since Vince is trying to throw out the go-home sign, uh, look for anything from Dark Horse that uh, that is from Grendel, from Matt Wagner. <laughs> there you go. I'm not putting that one in. Hmm. <laughs> Who's also writing Madame Xanadu right now? And Zorro. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, so let's run them down. I said Charlotte and Ball mm-hmm. from Image. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Wood said Spooks. Spooks, Four Eyes, and Lock and Key. Cool. My phone is ringing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's doing more than that. Yeah, let me see. May- maybe it's Tim telling you to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. I had uh, Savage, BPRD, and... Uh, what Captain Britain and MI-13. Captain Britain and MI-13. Mm-hmm. And it kind of this... works against the formula, but I'll, I'll throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> and The Circle well, and Grendel. Nice. And one that definitely is not a indie book, but damn, if people don't buy it, they need to. Uh, I've been waiting for it to come out for a long time. The Camelot 3000 hardcover is coming out. Oh, this yeah. Month. Oh, yeah. So That's, awesome, dude. Uh, I mean, that, for, for people that, that don't know, mm-hmm. yeah, Camelot 3000 is actually a very significant book 
in the history of comics for some good reasons and for some not so good reasons. Uh-huh. The good reasons are it's some of Brian Boland's first U.S. work. Uh, it's also the first ever maxi series, uh, as I understand it, or at least one mm-hmm. of the first. I'm pretty sure it's the first ever maxi series that DC put out. Uh, those are the good things. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. It's basically um, King Arthur and his court are brought back from the past into the future to stop Morgan Le Fay, who's taken over the world. Uh, and it, I think it went around, what, 12 issues? Yep. The dubious part of it, and again, not, but, but certainly significant, is that it really was the first book, I at least that's credited with being the first book, that had horrible, horrible delays. Uh, Brian Bowen got uh, creative... He had creative issues and not, I guess the equivalent of artist writer's block. And the book, I think that uh, there were, what, six to eight months between issues 11 and 12? Something and like it was a pretty big deal back then because that had never happened before. So, but, but the end of it is that they're finally collecting it, and it's a great, great, fun, fun series. If you like Arthurian Legend, which I do, you got to get this book. I remember that series so fondly. And uh, regarding the delays, Tom Caters would tell you that uh, um, if you get the hardcover, you should only uh, read an issue every six months. <laughs> does uh, considering it's a hardcover, does does uh, and and collected, does uh, does Bolin recolor and and alter any of the art inside? I don't know. I I didn't see any mention of that in the solicits, so probably not. Because okay. I know with the Killing Joke, that was a that was called our attention was called to that right that he was recoloring it. So same he, problem. He, yeah, he was he did recolor it, uh, which is fine because it's one one artist's vision, and and he wanted to do that. I guess originally, I I don't agree with some of what he uh, what he recolored, but it does it still works. It's still a great mm-hmm. story. I, I was not. I am not thrilled with uh, with the altering of of some of the artwork. I wish that was left alone. Okay. Well, Vince has got a hot date tonight, I think. No, no, I just we we gotta keep it, you know, within the zone. Keep it tight. <laughs> uh, That's right. Yeah, we are. You, we're, we're, you, you want them to want more, Wood. That's right. You know, you know what? What? What said it on uh, on the forum today? I think we, we're falling into a, a real nice, like ninety minute groove. Mm-hmm. So right. I think I think we found I think we found our level. Works for plus, me. Plus a KY right. comic guy duck call. I'm sure will be happening. <laughs> So please, do yourself a favor. Take the 11 o'clock Comics Challenge. Buy an indie book on the list. Even if it's not on the list, buy it. Come to our forum at forum.bullpenbulletinspodcast.com. Yeah. I'm I'm a little little tired. I'm okay. Hey, I I know what you're feeling. Take the time to either write it up, call in, or send us a a voicemail. Or if if you're handy with the audio like Mr. Mike Sims, you know, you can record your own. I don't care. Just... Communicate. Tell us why you liked it. And if you want, you can tell us what book you took a little breather from to do it, which would be kind of cool. Yeah, just look for what I'm sure will be the stickied forum thread on this topic. Oh, hell yeah. I'm doing it right now as soon as we get off. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, and, and, and can, I, can, I, can I plug something from AC? You can plug just, anything you want. We, uh, better. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, uh, our book of the month uh, for July is uh, Black Hole by Charles Burns. Ah, oh, nice. I've never read that. Ooh, it's, it's awesome. That now's your chance. Uh, 35%, per, 35% off the in-stock trades. They they lowered the price on it just just for us. So uh, you nice. can go on. I think the paperback is like 11 and a half bucks with the discount. <laughs> so so uh, go check out Black Hole. That is, uh, it, it is a 
fantastic piece of work, and I'm really we've been teasing that one for about a year and a half. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. Creepy Sweet. as hell, though. You oh will, yeah, you will need a shower after reading that. Yep. Sweet. <laughs> All right. So hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week at the usual time, the usual day. Since when? Uh, Eleven o'clock. 11 o'clock on Wednesdays. This is our special Thursday re- episode released on Friday because today's Comic Book Thursday. They, they messed us all up, this diamond thing. Stupid Independence Day. That's right. Blame Microsoft. <laughs> that was the real culprit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Shush, we don't want too much behind the scenes, man. Uh, happy birthday, America. That's right. Have a good mm-hmm. week, people, and we'll see you here next time. Peace out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.